Amen, amen, amen. Our uh, title for today's message is Called Out and Called Up. Called out, somebody say called out. And called, up. and called up. Let's go. Father, we thank you and honor you for your work in our life. And we thank you for the great trajectory that you have us on as believers to grow, to know, and to be more effective for your namesake. And so I'm praying today that you will help this to be a nice crescendo in, our, in, in the ending of this series of going through 1 Corinthians, line upon line, precept upon precept, truth upon truth, grace upon grace, glory upon glory for you, God. And so, God, soak it into our bones. Help the marination of the truth of the Word of God to, to saturate us so that although we're finished expositionally going through this book, that you would continue to expose us to the truths in this book. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength, our Redeemer, in whom we trust and Lord God, help us not to just be hearers of the word. Help us to do what you say by the power of the Spirit, uh, by faith in the gospel and repentance in turning towards you. Uh, be glorified and honored today, God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that? Say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Called out and called up. Uh, one, of the things, one of the things that people misunderstand about the Christian faith is how God utilizes conviction for his glory. Um, if, you're if you've ever been convicted by God, how many of you have ever been convicted by God? I'm talking about what God just ate your lunch in your heart. You know, just went after you. Look at somebody and say, that's a good thing. Uh, 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 and let, me, let me just tell you, if God isn't calling you out, you will never get called up. In, 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 in other words, if God never jams you up, He'll never grow you up. And, 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 and so be, be, being jammed up by God is a good thing where he backs you in a corner. He loves you enough to tell you about yourself. But he also, what I like about God is God isn't just somebody that like enters your, uh, your news feed on, online and puts you on blast like in, in the comment line in front of your whole, or in, in, and just tag a bunch of people in him blasting you. You know, God is a gracious God. He'll inbox you. He'll, he'll, he'll inbox you and say, you know you're tripping, right? You know what I'm saying? And then he'll make you go into your own news feed and rebuke yourself because you know how good he's been to you in the inbox. And so don't mistake God inboxing your soul about calling you out as him not loving you. He wants to call you up. And, that, and that's what I love about a relationship with God is there is never wasted conviction with him. God doesn't tell his people off just to tell them off. See, some of us, we so used to, I got to give you a piece of my mind, you know what I'm saying? And, and us giving a piece of my mind, our mind is getting something off our chest to make us feel better. But God gives us a piece of himself, if you will, if not all of himself, to help us to be better. And so Paul culminates this book in just a really, really powerful way as he's culminating a book that has been challenging God's people to grow up in every single area of their life. And he gets strategic things in strategic places where he's challenged them in. And so in chapters 1 through 4, he just give them, gave them the foundation of their spiritual immaturity. So chapters 1 through 4, he's, he's, Paul is getting up in the, in the believers, talking about their carnality, talking about their, their, their stinking thinking, talking about their cliques, and talking about their lack of submission to spiritual authority, and challenges them at the foundation of their spiritual growth. 
But then from chapter 5 through chapter 7, we saw that he challenges their spiritual growth in their morality and their sexuality. In challenging them in their morality and their sexuality, they saw that their immaturity showed itself up in their functional practices and how they were in their moral commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then from chapters 8 to 10, he talks about their, <coughs> them giving Jesus a bad name in the neighborhood. And he challenges them on that reality. And then from chapters uh, about 11th, from the 11th chapter to the 14th chapter, he talks about their commitment and maturity in relationship to how they gathered and how they made the most of those gatherings. But then in chapter, uh, in chapter about, the, about the 15th chapter, he utilizes and he retroacts how the resurrection can impact all of those things. And he shows how the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, particularly the resurrection of Christ, has called them up to a resurrected life, not a buried life. And, 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 and so he challenged them to that reality. Now in chapter 16, <coughs> he gives them two applicational takeaways, I believe. Um, there are many things that can be extracted from here. But he gives them some takeaways that is a continuous barometer. Somebody say barometer. It's a barometer for where they are in their walk. If you, want, if you want to challenge yourself in an area of your life, you look at these two areas, which really is one area split up into two. The area is love, okay? Your, love, your level of your barometer in love, listen, listen, uh, 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 um, will show you where you are practically in your spiritual maturity. Now, now, now what he, he breaks it up into two areas. If you're going to be called out, to be called up number, I'm going to give you the two points, and then we're going to explain this in the passage. I'm going to be less preachy, I think, today. And, just, and I, want you to, I want you to pull out pens, papers, notepads on your phone, whatever, because I really want you to take notes of this, right? Point number one of two, if you're going to be called out to be called up, you got to recognize that you're called up to intentional generosity and called up to intentional hospitality. General, intentional generosity. Somebody say generosity. generosity. Somebody say hospitality. hospitality. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get into the text. Let's get under this calling us up to intentional generosity, our treasure. Look at what it says in verse 16. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints. He says, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. As he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that you should go all, that I should go also, they will accompany me. <laughs> when we talk about generosity, I, let me just get something out on the table for y'all. Are y'all ready? We're not going to apologize for asking you to participate in kingdom work anymore. <laughs> um, um, if you've been here long enough, you know that we're not pimps. Don't look at me like I'm, I'm just going to lay this out. You're going to get mad and with it. We're not pimps here. You should know that by now. Okay? So I'm not going to apologize for asking you, and knowing that these elders are going to apologize for asking you to support the kingdom. <laughs> Because what's happened now is people use pimpology of bad preachers who practice bad proclamation to not deal with their own purse. 
Let me, let me, let me see if I can make it plain. In, in other words, what you've done is you, many of us have so marked giving out of our spiritual maturity quotient because of bad practices of churches that now you're not generous at all. You just use it for you. So what I want to do is people always looking at what well, the church is like this. I want you to turn that now. <clears throat> Turn it from looking at how, the, how you view the church financially, and now I want you to turn it to your own heart. The same scrutiny that you look at, with, so we're not on the Word Network today, all right? We're not TBN and Daystar today. You know what I say, today, if you sow a seed, today, mm, there's somebody out there. There's a warmth that's going to hit your back right now. Once you give a seed of $1,000 called one eight eight eight. Preach the word. <laughs> Heat's going to hit. Ha, there it is. Ha, there it is. Hit you, it hits you. See, the, see, y'all used to all kinds of shenanigans. But when you look at the text, <laughs> come back, Pastor. That was funny. Help me back. Come back, Pastor. Come back, Pastor. All right. When you look at this text, there's, not a, there's, not, there's no manipulation at all. Because, see, because I ain't going to promise you, God, you know, if you give God's, God, I need 50 people right now to give $500. And when you give $500, the Lord, the Lord ain't told me nothing. All the Lord said was if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. You're not going to be cursed with a curse based on Malachi 3 because that's, that's the Old Testament under the law. Christ became a curse to become a cure. So now he's canceled out all of the curses of the Old Testament so you can only experience the blessings of them. So I'm not going to tell you today that your car's going to break down if you don't give. I'm not going to tell you you're not going to get, you're going to get sick and your grandmama going to, I ain't going to tell you none of that because that's a lie from the pit of hell. Okay? But I am going to tell you that you need to consider the role that generosity has in your spiritual growth. <laughs> look, look, look at what he says here. Now that we got over that, we over that now? Amen. Oh, I need that louder. Y'all over that now? Amen. Amen. Let's get into the text. So I got several principles under here I want to make sure you write down. A generosity must have clear leadership directives. Clear leadership directives. So what you see here, Paul says, now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia. So there is direction to giving that leadership should lead, that they shouldn't be afraid to. Paul is a matter of fact and very clear in his commitment to call the church to biblical giving and commitment to giving here. So the collection, number one, should have clear direction. He says, and, and he said, and this is the norm in all the churches. This is not some special dispensation for one church. But this is the disposition that I have in how I, Paul says, I ask for loot, cheddar, dinero in the church for kingdom mission. All right? Now, next one. <laughs> regularly. It should be done. Generosity should be done regularly. He says, on the first day of every week. I like that. That, that means that every week you should be figuring out a way to be generous financially. Yes. That means that, that, that Paul, Paul is pointing, even though this is a specific offering, um, th- th- this points to a commitment to regularly be a regular giver, not a seasonal giver. That means the same way, God, God doesn't give out pink slips for you not, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know that some church, I look on YouTube, one church, <clears throat> they, um, when you become a member, part of the membership process is you have to give your household income, and then the, the pastor has to tell you how much you're going to give. Uh, now, now, I don't know where that is in the Bible, but all I know is that you should be giving. Giving shouldn't be contrived 
and manipulate it. And in other words, the reason why people manipulate people is because they don't trust God with people. <laughs> and, and, and there's some things, there's some things you there, there's some things you just gotta preach. You know what you know what I do as a preacher? I just gotta preach and let the ghost deal with you. You see, so 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 I'm gonna just let the ghost deal with you. So I'm gonna just tell you that they give regularly. That means you need to be looking at strategically how to give, right? So, so, so it, should be, it should be a part of the flow of your life. Like the same way you pay your rent on time, hopefully. Um, your mortgage. Hallelujah. The same way uh, you pay your cell phone bill. <laughs> um, dang, yeah, on time. Um, I remember the first part of Epiphany, man. I called people, man. Um, you've reached a number that has been shut off until this cat pay their bill. That's what the lady changed her. She's like he had on her hat backwards talking about that, man. She was mad. Regularly. Universally. Next. Look what Paul says. Each of you. Somebody say each of you. That means it's a, con- it's a commitment of everybody. Everybody in the church, is a, it's a commitment for them to give. I remember the old church, <coughs> um, when, you, when, the, when the kids were sitting in the church, the mama or the dad would give them a quarter to put in the plate. As a training mechanism to develop in them a commitment to generosity. Um, everything in the old church ain't bad. Somebody, they, they hand you a peppermint and a dollar. Y'all don't know nothing about that. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? One of them Brock's Jones, you know what I'm saying? Or the spicy uh, cinnamon one, the red one. My favorite was the orange butterscotch one. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that was my favorite. But then if you put the butterscotch right here and the cinnamon one right here, whack how it just hits you. A hot butterscotch. It was dope, man. Wow, that took me back. Pastor Larry, that took me back. All right, but um, so universally, there's a commitment that if you're a believer, you're thinking through generosity. Every single one of us. Now, now, every single one of us should be thinking through generosity, even if you're a college student. You, hallelujah. Amen. You ain't got to buy no soda this week. Just get you a jug. Go to the calf like we used to do. Fill that joint up with some milk. You can do I said, you can't do Yes, you can do that. You paid for it. You paid $2,000 for, for a semester. You should be able to go in there with a jug and go cacao and hold it there and wave at people while it's coming down and put it in your refrigerator when you get back to your room. <laughs> and then take the money that you were going to use and give it. Amen. Y'all ain't going to talk back to me. It's okay. <laughs> But, 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 but there should be a regular commitment to giving that's a part of the matrix. It's good for your soul. That's why the Bible says it's more get, best thing to give to than to receive. Okay? So it should be universal. So even the poor, if you're on public assistance, God calls you to give. Even if you're from the block to the boardroom, everybody that's a believer is committed to giving. So universally, each of you. But then this is very, this, this is important also. Clarity of purpose. Paul says collection for the saints. Let me just tell you this right here. There must always be clarity on where the money is going. Let me just tell you, don't ever give money to a ministry that you don't know where exactly the money's going. So, so when them dudes do the $5, $50, $1,000 line, they never tell you where it's going. They just said so, and then the Lord's going to give back to you. I'm like, yeah, where's my money going? Notice that Paul tells them exactly where the money was going. Everywhere in the Bible from Genesis to Revelations, whenever there was giving, there was always a clarity of where the money went. 
Even when you look to the spontaneous giving in the book of Acts, you see that it was given for a particular purpose. Even when you look at the giving of the money to the temple, when Moses was called by God to go to the people of God and ask for resources, this much gold, this much cedar, this much silver, this much bronze. In other words, and God showed them exactly where it was going because God always wants us to see where we're sowing so that we can rejoice in the harvest of what God does where we sow it. That, that, that's very, very important. And, and that, that's why as we plant these churches, some of you, not everybody at the same time, but some of you need to go visit some of these church plants. Some of you on a Sunday need to go to Epiphany Camden and to go see where your money went, where over Pastor Doug and them are right across from the projects over there, engaging hundreds of people on a weekly basis. Some, some of you at some point need to go up to Restoration Church. Amen and going up there and put some money in the basket and spend some time watching where the resources are going and look what type of meeting place they're meeting in. Um, when Epiphany Brooklyn, go up there. I know Brooklyn's real cool. It's cooler than Philly. That's why he wants to go there. And um, I'm just messing with him. But, 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 but go there and, 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 and go sit and watch what God does. When we plant in, in, in L.A., um, save up your money because it's going to cost some money to go across the country like that. You know what I'm saying? It's just going to be an offering just to get you there. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and, you know, go, go, go across, it's like going overseas, man, like six, five, six hours. Go there and look at what Pastor Tommy and Fatima, what God is using them to do there, and sit and look at where resources are going, because when you see where resources is going, it changes your heart towards giving. Because you no longer look at the money, you look at, the, you look at what God is doing, and so it, it changes even how you look at your resources. You know what I'm saying? You need to take a trip with Pastor Larry to Malawi. Get your shots and go. Let me tell you, it's going to be, ain't no Ebola in Malawi. It's in a small section of Western Africa. Hallelujah. All right. And so, and so, and so, and, and go and sow into, why am I saying all of this? Because it's very, very important to watch where you're going. I, I love the fact that you trust us when we have the business meeting. <coughs> and so little of you guys come, but I want everybody to come one time. Like once, I know y'all like, we trust y'all. We know it ain't going, you know. Um, we thank y'all that you give a million dollars a year. But what we want you to do is we want you to come sit down and look at where the money is going that you're giving because it changes your generosity when you see what God is. It excites you about what God is up to. It excites you about the commitment to the gospel. When you see people getting saved and baptized and changed, we're going to have videos that show some of those things. You need to t- you need to, th- it just changes your disposition when you know clearly where money is going. So we talked about clarity of purpose. Next is systematically. Systematically. He said, each of you should put something aside and store it up. That means you need to give prayerfully. Have clarity on the amount. <laughs> you know, sometimes the, sometimes the Holy Ghost will tell you more than you wanted to give. You know, not all the time, but every now and then, he'll prick you. And you'll be like, God, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure, Lord? Um, um, and, and just give. Be obedient. If married, consult your spouse. Don't run around the church and say, say, say later, honey, the Lord told me to give the whole paycheck. Well, you got to talk about that with your spouse. I'm just being honest. I remember when we was in college, <clears throat> the spirit was quote-unquote high. This one time we went to the church and, man, Cass was just throwing wallets and carrying on. Got in the car and dudes woke up from, the, from whatever. <laughs> and um, dudes was like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He was like, we got to go back in the building and ask them for our money back. Now, if you do that with us, I'm just let you know we deposit fast, amen. And so, um, some of y'all will get that on the way home. 
And so, you know, but anyway, <clears throat> um, if you gave cash, don't be talking about, never mind. Anyway, um, somebody get that on the way home. <laughs> but I'm saying all of this to say we got to have a commitment. Somebody say commitment. Commitment, commitment so that we can, we can give systematically. Let, next is proportionately. That means, every, that means based on where your economic bracket is. Don't see how somebody else give and try to be given like them. You give like the Lord has proportioned you based on your economic bracket. And finally, you must make sure that the money is accountable. Somebody say accountable. Yeah. Look what Paul says. He says, and while I, when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So basically what he's saying <laughs> is something real quick. He says, what I want to make sure we do is when the money gets counted, we're going to make a letter. Those who you authorize must be signatured on that letter as the ones who carried it, plus the amount from the last count. You understand what I'm saying? So that when they go to Jerusalem and give the money, they open the letter, you know, you know, like on, you know, um, crazy TV shows, you know, gangsters, they open it up and make sure that it's not just a hundred on the top and one's in the middle. So they, you know, countage, right? And so make sure that there's accountability in the way giving is done, okay? <laughs> and, and this is very, very important. Somebody's looking at me like, what does this have to do with your life? Your spiritual maturity. Generosity, generosity, generosity. Second point, second point, second point. So, when God calls us out, he calls us up. He's calling the Corinthians to generosity. He's calling them to generosity. Remember that God is the most generous being on earth. When you were unsaved, he let you breathe his air. He let you harvest his food. He let you bask in his sunlight. He he let you, he let all that stuff, and he did that without you knowing him as Savior. So he's generous. That's generous. To let somebody live in your house and act a fool, and you still let them live there and eat your food? That's, that's what the, you, the earth is the house of God. The universe, as a matter of fact, his footstool. So you, we, we, in other words, God is the most generous, so you're never going to beat him at what he does. And our generosity should reflect him because of what he did for us through Christ, which he gave the best of heaven, not the least of heaven. He didn't give the archangel Michael. It wouldn't have worked. He had to give his son. Next, called up to, to intentional hospitality. <laughs> I told you I don't want to be too preachy today. I want, I, want, I want to see these applicational principles in here. Called up to intentional hospitality. Now, this section of the passage, again, remember these are barometers for spiritual maturity, for where you are in your walk with Jesus Christ. So he talked about generosity. Now he's going to talk about hospitality. The word hospitality isn't in this passage. The practice of it is. Okay, so hospitality literally means a friend of strangers. In other words, you're a welcoming person, not a non-welcoming person. You know, you haven't been around somebody and you just know they don't want you around. You walked in a room and something's in the room that feels like they saying, get out. You know what I'm saying? Um, 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 that's not a hospitable person, okay? So what he's talking about is, is, is people who have a welcoming philosophy and how their Christianity blesses others. Okay, now look at what he, he gives several examples. <coughs> he says, he said, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. I like that. Paul told him he was going to come visit, right? I like that. He's not being a Gentile Lord. Look what he's doing. He said, well, I intend to pass through Macedonia. He said, and perhaps I will stay with you. Interesting. He says, perhaps. Maybe you'll be hospitable. Because you've got to understand, you remember the rest of the book, they, they didn't care for Paul too much. 
If you remember throughout the book, they didn't, they didn't cuff for Paul that much, right? But it's interesting that he's willing to test their spiritual maturity by coming into houses where he know he ain't like. Now, now look, look what he says, and stay with you. Listen to what he says, though. Listen to affection in his voice. And spend the winter. That's a long time. That's like three, four months. Can you imagine being three, four months somewhere where somebody don't like you? Some of us don't want to be an hour. If you don't like me, I can get out right now. I got my own plate. You know how we do, right? But he, he said, I want to spend some time there. Paul wasn't, Paul, Paul, Paul. And he said, so that you may help me on my journey. He's asking for fundraising. Did you hear this? Sometimes you're going to have to ask money from people that don't like you. You see what he said? He said, I'll do it. You better, doc. <laughs> he says, wherever I go. He says, for I do not want to see you now. Uh, he, said, I, he said, I don't want to see you now in passing. So he said, I don't want to just come through there real quick. He, he said, because he, even though you don't like me, I want to spend time with you. It's a, let me t- do, you know how, do you know how much maturity that takes? Take that much, like, to still want to be around somebody that you know hates your innards. And, and, he, said, and he said, I want to spend some time if the Lord permits. That means he's praying that God would open up the door for him to spend time with people that don't like him. It's rough, right? It's crazy. This is real Christianity. This ain't for the faint of heart where you want to be around everybody to make you feel good, Right? But he's around there to serve them, not just to put them on. Look what he says. He said, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. He says, for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, check this out. He's talking about the Christians who are going through a lot of persecution, and he's giving them an inferential example, okay? And he's saying, they're going through persecution there are many adversaries there, but a wide door has been opened for ministry, meaning that he's going to spend time with Christians who are going through a lot, and they're willing to be hospitable in the midst of their hard times. In, 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 in other words, the hard times in your life aren't soulless seasons. In, 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 in other words, these Christians are going through persecution. They may have to ask Paul, yo, come around the back, pull the car back in the alley, turn the lights off on the front of the car. Before you come through the alley, they may see you. And then we're going to have a window open, come in. That type of situation, right? And he's willing to lovingly commit to effective ministry with that wide door being open, that they would do that in the midst of chaos. Now watch what Paul does here. Hospitality, all this is hospitality, spiritual growth stuff. This grown woman, grown man stuff here in the spirit. Look, verse 10. He says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease. Now, I want y'all to listen to this. See that he puts you at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. It's bad that he has to tell them that. He has to tell Christians to treat a Christian missionary with hospitality. In other words, mature churches already know and and are committed to doing that type of stuff as a part of the regiment of their Christian life. So so, so several things we see here that's really, really powerful in this, in this case study. He says, I I say here, hospitality frees, frees leaders to serve the flock. 
He says, see that you put him in ease. He says, so let no one despise him, ridicule him. Look at what he says here. He says, help him on his way in peace. Support his ministry. Now look at verse 12. He says, so concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to visit with you, with the other brothers. But it was not at all his will to come to you now. It's crazy. Apollos was like, nah, Paul, I'm going to roll down to Ephesus. See the Corinthians later. Um, that's what, I'm just reading what the text said. Okay. He said he will come when he has opportunity. So anyway, <laughs> my man Apollos. But you know, they loved Apollos because he was a preacher's preacher. Remember that? Look at verse 13. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you be done, done in love. What is he saying here? Be spiritual adults. He's not saying be manly, even though that can apply to men. He's saying to the church, be like what's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when he says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. So he's talking about them committing themselves to transitioning to spiritual adulthood. So that means that no matter what season of life you're in, whether you're a millennial or whether you're a boomer, a buster, or shaker, civil rights generation, hippie generation, hip-hop generation, uh, uh, black bourgeoisie generation, multi-ethnic generation, wherever you are culturally and economically, all of us are called to have a comprehensive, robust commitment to spiritual maturity. And that means that you got to hear hard words from God that, help her, that helps the healing and development of your soul in him in very, very powerful ways. Now he gives a case study of hospitality. This is beautiful. I love this right here. And this is, this is very, very fruitful for our discussion today. He says, now I urge you, brothers. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, you know that the household of Stephanus <coughs> um, were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these. And to every fellow worker and laborer, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus, uh, Fortunatus, and Acacius, because they have made up for your absence. For they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Okay, let's break this down. Stephanus, he says, and his household, this is powerful, were the first fruit. The word here, first, should be, can be translated first fruits. Somebody say first fruits. Now, first fruits here points back to Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ was the first fruits of us, meaning that Jesus' resurrection represents God harvesting everybody who believes in him. So that represents, whenever you had a first fruit, you say, you check the fruit line, oh, this is going to be a good harvest. Because when you look at the first fruits of a harvest, you look at the quality of the fruit that comes up that lets you know how much the quality of the other fruit that comes after it is going to be. Yeah. So what is he saying about Stephanus? He says Stephanus and his whole household trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. When they trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, they've grown from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. In Achaia, they were the first fruits of what God was going to do in that place. Now, in accompanying the work of God, check this out, their fruitfulness in what God was doing in their life was so beastly that it affected their city. In other words, when God changed your life, he wanted you to be a first fruit of something that's beyond where you are. And so what he's beginning to say and what he's telling them and he's helping us to recognize and understand from a hospitality standpoint and from a love standpoint is that God has saved you for more than just you. 
He saved you to, to be a harvest for me. That's what the Bible says. The harvest is plentiful, but the and so And so therefore, when you get harvest, you're supposed to become a harvester. And so, and so when he talks about them being the first fruits of that, listen to what he says. He said, these, he said they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. They're not selfish Christians. He says, be subject to such as these. And then he goes down, he says, Stephanus, uh, Fortunatus, and uh, Cassius, because they have made up for your absence. What does that mean? It means that they fill in, it literally means that they filled in the gaps. Okay, can I, can I park there just for one minute? Are y'all still with me today? I'm just making sure. Y'all quiet. Listen, this, maybe y'all just right. <laughs> Fill in the gaps means this, that they didn't come to the church to look for its faults. In other words, they ain't just say, it's a bunch of hypocrites in the church. And because it's a bunch of hypocrites in the church, I don't want me. They ain't do that. They came in with a glass half full philosophy versus a glass half empty. Meaning, instead of complaining about the deficiencies of the church, they plug themselves in to spackle the mess-ups. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen a wall that gets spackled, and when you got a, if you, if you, go, if you ever had an apartment or a dorm room, whatever, and, and you made a bunch of nails in the wall, when you take all of those pictures down, there's a bunch of holes in the wall. And what you have to do before you paint is you have to do some work. You have to get some spackle, and you got to smash it down on that area and then go all over all of the holes in the wall. And what you do is when it dries, you get a sander or you sand by hand and make it leveled so nothing's sticking out. And then what you do is you let it dry, and then what you do is you paint over it, and then you no longer see the deficiencies in it. That's what good Christians do in the church. Good Christians who are mature spackle in the brokenness of the church not gossip and slander the mess of the church. And so these three men, these three men, Paul says, I'm, I'm bigging them up. He said, I love these cats so much. He said, I want, you, I want you to recognize that they have filled in the gaps. He says, where you guys haven't. That's what he told the Corinthians. He said, you haven't done this. And so it took three men to do what it was supposed to be a whole church to do. That's what the text says. Now, look at what he says. He says, now, this is what it does for me. He says, for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. This reminds me of some great stories my wife and I have of when we first um, got married almost 18 years ago. We've been together 21 years now. And, and you know, it, it reminds me when we was in seminary, you know what I'm saying? And um, we, we had some people sort of adopt us. Um, we were in a we were in a four thousand member church and we were serving in ministry and I ended up getting on staff and all those different types of things. We had a couple named Don and Jean. I never forget them. Hope I hold it together when I think about them. And the Mitchells, Wayne and Joanne Mitchell. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> they refreshed us. Um, Don and Gina were young corporate people on their first corporate job, probably, and they had a huge home. And they bought the home for a purpose. They bought a five-bedroom home, and they would invite like 30 of us over. And we would have sleepovers and watch TV shows and just build into the late night. Men would sleep in one room. Men would sleep in another room. And they would open up on Thanksgivings. I can remember Gina would cook lamb, a leg of lamb, hallelujah. (laughs) She would fry turkey, bake a turkey make her own honey-baked ham, 
sweet potato pie, apple pie, pecan pie, yams, make cheese grits in the morning, thick bacon, not that little skinny bacon, thick bacon with the peppercorns on it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, scramble some eggs and, and all of those different types of things, and we never heard a complaint. They didn't know that sometimes when we and my wife had hard times, their house was our meal. They didn't know that. Um, Wayne and Joanne Mitchell adopted us. I can remember them sitting in front of me. They built such relationship capital with me and my wife that they brought us in the house one time. When we, 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 was all, we was on one of our relational breakups. I was done with Yvette. She was done with me. Um, and, um, um, we, you know, we broke up like 17 times. I don't want to be with you. I don't want to be with you, you know. So there's hope um, for y'all. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I can, I, can just remember, I can just remember them saying, y'all coming over our house today. And they built that type of relationship because we'd eaten pound cake at a table. You know, I love pound cake. Y'all know that, right? Um, thank y'all. I ain't going to look at them, but thank you for sending that piece of pound cake after the sermon to Pastor. Thank you. Worked it off already. Um, She'd bring us over for Thanksgiving, and they would just minister to us and disciple us, a, a, a 50-year-old couple that would just love on us. And they had built such hospitality and relational capital with us. They brought us over their house and jammed us up. I mean, they said to us now, Eric, I, was like, I don't even want to be here. You know what I'm saying? You know, I don't even know why you got Shorty in here. You know, I'm looking all over to the, the west of Dallas, you know, looking over. You know, and they said, they said all I'm going to say is this. Y'all either break up for good and leave each other alone or spend some time to, in prayer and just commit to being married. And that changed our trajectory forever. There's a, there's, there's a lot of that for you guys in here. There's a lot of opportunity for hospitality. There were young couples that had bread makers that made bread and we would have monopoly. We pay monopoly for our, just building community and being hospitable. You don't have to have a big house. You can have a dorm room. You can be renting a room. Where you are is where you can show off the glory of Christ. You don't have to wait until you get all of this stuff in place. You don't need a full household infrastructure to show love. You, you, can, you can be hospitable where you are. There's always gleanings to leave. It's interesting that the Levirate law in the Old Testament had it to where if you had land, you wouldn't glean the edges so that those who didn't have could glean the edges and you could build a relationship with them and either engage them with the truth about Yahweh or strengthen them in their journey. Everybody got gleanings that they can leave out. My mother, you called her Mom Mason in the neighborhood, she always made extra greens, always made extra uh, chicken and dumplings, always made extra because she used food as a relationship builder to be able to build relationships with people to love people. When you have your funeral and the mic is open, what are people going to say about you? What are people going to say about your commitment to Jesus Christ and how your affection for Jesus and your affection for them has impacted their journey for the Lord God? Well, Paul bigs these folk up. I got to finish this. But Paul, in closing, he says, the Asian church, I like this. Look, look what he says. They refresh. Look, look, he says, verse 
18, he says, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. They were refreshing to be around, these three guys. They were refreshing for the church. They, they built into the church. He says, he said, give recognition to these people. Look at what he says in closing. I'm out of your way. He says, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Now, you got to understand, everybody in the known world of Christianity at this time knew how trifling the Corinthians were. So I want you to read that in light of this closing. Listen to what Paul says, even in the midst of how trifling this church was, how whoremongerly they were, how snooty they were, how unjustice-oriented they were, how hateful towards the poor they were. Look at what he says about them. And the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, there's another view of hospitality, send you hearty greetings. They didn't stop talking to them. He says, in the Lord they send you greetings. Because that's the only way they was going to greet them, was in the Lord. <laughs> and listen, if you're going to do it in you, you, you ain't got nothing for them. But in the Lord, you can greet everybody. Look, look what he says. He, said, he says, all of the brothers send you greetings. He keeps saying that. And then he says, now this is what I want you to do. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You know you got to tell the Corinthians, holy kiss. <laughs> you know, because dudes will be bringing out breath fresh. <laughs> he said, a holy kiss now. You know, licking your lips like LL Cool J trying to kiss somebody. That's not what he's talking about here. Amen. He's talking about a holy kiss. All right. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. He says, I'm not dictating it. He says, that's a long letter to write to somebody. It's a long letter to write to somebody. He says, this is how much I love you. I'm writing a book for you with my own hand. It's a reason why I do that, because I love you. And he says, he says, he said, let me just... He went real gangster on this verse. He says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be a curse. It's like, dang, Paul, you just was greeting and kissing, now platow. But he's saying, but he's assuming they have love. He said, if no one loves the Lord, forget him in relation to what I'm talking about. Because in other words, if what I'm saying to you doesn't cause you to move towards the Lord, you don't know him. That's what he said. You don't know him. A curse means going to hell, anathema. Then he says, look what he says. Our Lord come. Grace, he said, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. I pray um, that the church and preaching and our relationships and community are supposed to expose where we are and where we're not, yet refresh and encourage us to be what God wants us to be. A church is a hospital of messy people that are under the doctor's knife constantly. Your Christian life was meant to be a consistent surgery. You never come from under the knife, family. 
Let me just say that. You never come from under the knife. And God doesn't give anesthesia, but he does give comfort. And, and, and my prayer is, is that as we have finished this book, if you will, in a sense of expositional preaching and going through an entire book of the Bible, looking at growing up, I pray that your soul, God has encouraged it and challenged it. And he said to you, you know what? It is time for me to grow up. And so I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, that we will be a community committed consistently to growing up. And the church said...